Hey Idaho Dems, welcome back to another episode of ID Pod, where we talk about Idaho politics and how it affects you, the voter. I'm your host, Jesse Maldonado, flying solo this week as I'm home for the holidays in Lewiston. On today's episode, I sat down with Dean Ferguson, the former communications director for the Idaho Democratic Party and the former executive director of the Wyoming Democratic Party. We talked about issues important uh, in northern Idaho, what really got Dean involved in politics, talked about northern Idaho politicians, uh, current and past, and the history of the party here in northern Idaho, and also really honed in on some similarities between the two red states of Idaho and Wyoming and what some of the things we can share and what we can learn from each other. So thanks again for tuning in for another episode of ID Pod. It was a fun time with Dean, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Well, I'm here today with uh, Dean Ferguson. We're up in Lewiston. I came home for the holidays and have Dean here in the studio. Dean, we open these podcasts with a quick little question about your favorite potato dish. Do you have a favorite potato dish that you enjoy Maybe at the holiday seasons, maybe just every day of the year. <laughs> you know, I've I've had uh, thirty pounds that I keep losing and gaining for the last ten years, and so mm, potatoes. I blame them for some of that. You know, my favorite potato dish, though, and I'm totally legit. I it just occurred to me is like the powdered potatoes that you take hiking with you, oh. and you, you go to the store and you see these packets where it's like all these different kinds of pot- mm-hmm. you know powdered potato dishes they're awesome when you're hiking they're wow. very on brand for you <laughs> thanks <laughs> so dean for the listeners who haven't heard your name in the years you've been involved here in idaho politics how about a little background on who you are and uh, where you where you've been yeah sure um so so i'm fifth generation idaho and I'm, I'm from this area my family came here um, Oregon Trail years. I actually have a relative, uh, you know, one of my great, great, great grands that was born on the Oregon Trail um, down by Nampa. And I just, I just think, uh, my gosh, what tough, filthy, dirty people they must have been. I, <laughs> I, oh my God, have a baby on the Oregon Trail. And uh, anyway, they bounced over the coast and came back. And so we were here shortly after the, you know, about the, the 1880s. And in, and so I grew up in, in northern Idaho here, and I've got a lot of extended family around here. And so I've never, I don't have a family that's been involved in politics. <clears throat> I have, uh, you know, we just haven't been. We've, been. we've been people that are just involved in, in growing the area and in, in being part of uh, building up the communities around here. And I just, I don't have politics in my background. I, my grandpa used to live down river in, from here, about 12 miles over on the Washington side. And they, you know, they were 12 miles away, but at that time it probably took an hour to get to town on that terrible road. And he used to be in charge of collecting the ballots um, for Whitman County, that part, and driving them, I think, up to Pullman. And I mean, so he was probably in charge of collecting maybe 20 some ballots out there in the country. And so that's as close to politics as my family's <laughs> yeah. ever been involved. He was pretty proud of it, got paid. He actually got a, um, he was poor is why that's relevant. But <laughs> he, got, um, he got a speeding ticket uh, one day because he was running late to get to Pullman, I think, where, wherever the county seat was. And uh, maybe it was Colfax. And uh, that like 
everything he made mm -hmm. and plus some was lost in that speeding ticket. It just wow. stuck with him for years. The price of democracy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I digress. Uh, <laughs> uh, my professional life, I'm, uh, you know, I, I graduated University of Idaho with a bachelor's of science in education, um, later ended up in Alaska, up in Fairbanks, got a master of fine arts in creative writing. And in 2001, uh, the World Trade Center's attack happened, and I was building um, fence in central Oregon. I was a fence builder for a, a, a cattle ranch there, and I felt like I needed to do something more with my life. And I, I contemplated, you know, am I going to join the military and fight, fight the terrorists? And I seriously thought about going that route, but it occurred to me that the thing that I could do well, that uh, most people couldn't, um, was right. And I feel like people that are well-informed don't fly airplanes into buildings. And so my thought, I joined, I became a reporter, and just that, that mission of reporting and, 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 and telling the world the truth, uh, helping us make good decisions, seemed like the way, my way, to fight terrorism. Mm -hmm. um, interestingly, after several years of that, I couldn't fight my student loan bills, and I had to get out of journalism just to pay mm -hmm. off my debt. And which is interesting that they still haven't solved that yet. You know, you hear the the politics mm -hmm. around what are we going to do with this crushing debt? Yeah, mm -hmm. I totally know about it. I'm still paying my student loans. It's only gone worse. Yeah, yeah, I'm 100 years old, still paying my <laughs> student loans. It's crazy. And so, anyway, uh, I, I uh, Larry LaRocco um, approached me for his 2008 U.S. Senate race, asked me to be his communications director, and uh, you know, it's a kind of a typical sort of. Uh, approach to to campaigns is to go find a reporter mm -hmm. and, and try to take advantage of their their reporter contracts and so you can even, anyway it's not it's not a terrible approach but i've learned since then that reporters are actually not very good communication directors because they don't know what they're doing they know how to be good reporters and i wasn't a particularly good communication director but that was my entrance to uh politics was mm -hmm. for his u.s senate race and really learned a lot there and from there i went on worked for walt menick was his regional, uh, based here in Lewiston, director while he was in Congress, and then his communication director his second year, or his, yeah, second year in Congress. And from there went on and worked for the Democratic Party as communication director for several years and bounced over to Wyoming for yeah. a couple of years to be their executive director. Interesting. Yeah, so kind of curious about that Wyoming experience. Um, obviously, you know, we've known each other for a while and talked while you were in Wyoming, but what are the similarities? between Wyoming and Idaho, um, and what are some of the differences, too? You know, it's really interesting. It's really similar, for one thing. Um, my experience here in Idaho prepared me really well to be executive director over there. Um, when I got to Wyoming, their party was, um, you know, they, they had some really good board members who'd come on and were trying to rebuild, basically after the Hillary Clinton, uh, Bernie sort mm -hmm. of uh, battles that the state parties went through. Well, you know, the, the smaller states that didn't have a lot of staff or um, a lot of resources, they kind of struggled the most with those fights. And they ended up, you know, when they lose a donor, when you're a small state and you lose a donor over mm -hmm. a presidential fight, you lose a lot. And, I mean, their budget was down to not much, really relying on the support that the DNC gives through the state Party Partnership Program, which was Howard Dean's mm -hmm. brainchild, um, really relying on that. And so um, when I got there, 
they have that same dynamic about you know uh, a, a supermajority of Republicans in the House and Senate and all the statewide offices um, in in Republican hand and a lot of uh, you know like the grand old uh, leaders of the party running around telling jokes about how oh by golly you you can fit all the Democrats in the mm-hmm. state in the phone booth and you know for years I've been telling them to stop stop it's not a funny joke mm-hmm. everybody under fifty doesn't know what a phone booth is anymore <laughs> and and two it's not true there's hundreds of thousands of Democrats in Idaho sure. and I mean people will vote for Democrats they really will mm-hmm. but you know you you've got your your leaders who remember the greener pastures of the pre-mid-90s, and they're just like, oh, no, it's terrible. I'm in despair. And I want to communicate that despair to a younger generation and make sure it lasts and goes on forever. And anyway, I've, I've constantly fought that, and I had to fight some of that in Wyoming. But in, in truth, I found them to be uh, just really open to, to hey, we're, we're at this position where we can just grow mm-hmm. and just open to how do we get a path forward. And I looked at my experience in Idaho where I learned, uh, I learned a lot from Sally Boynton Brown um, because she's just a really talented, singularly gifted organizational person, and she's been on, she's going to be on mm-hmm. the podcast. Yes, uh, correct. Yep. And anyway, she's just really talented and built that organization from there. As far as the politics in that state, really similar. Although I actually think the Republicans there, their radical right wing, has not bought into the conspiratorial kind of thinking as wholeheartedly as the radical right wing of the Idaho Republican. Interesting. An example, I've taken an interest in um, wildlife overpasses. Okay, yep. Um, So they want to do a wildlife overpass over eastern Idaho. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, to help get deer across the roads. You don't hit them with your car. and Kill the deer, kill yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. bad thing. Well, in southeastern Idaho, under, I think, Moon and and these guys, they've... uh, come up with this theory that it's part of the UN um, takeover mm. of our state and it it takes away property rights and it's just part of I can't remember the particular conspiracy it's the oh, I wish I could remember the name of it but it's just fabulously crazy it's fascinating well and over in Wyoming that bunch doesn't do that they're like oh yeah no that makes sense let's mm-hmm. have overpasses to get the deer over the road because even even radical right-wingers don't like their families killed in deer crashes sure. over there. Right. So anyway, it's, it's a slightly different politics. It's still a little more, uh, just doesn't quite have that yeah. horrible fringe element mm-hmm. that we've seen in ours. So is there the same sort of dynamic in Wyoming that exists here in Idaho where folks up in, in, in regions outside of Boise or whether it's outside of maybe Cheyenne think that it's just, absolutely impossible to win in does that dynamic exist because you you hear it that folks think that it's impossible to win outside of Boise even though we do um, continue to pick up county seats and legislative seats outside of Boise does that dynamic exist and leading into that how do you think we change that narrative here in here in Idaho yes that does still exist and and you know it's interesting because there actually are a few places where up there where yeah it's really hard for somebody that's uh you know, not just a Democrat, but somebody who can think clearly to get elected. <laughs> um, the uh, uh, yes, the dynamic still exists. 
And seriously, part of the problem is really simple. It's, I swear, it's very simple. It, it is that, that persistent, um, really, I think, corrosive idea that we can fit all our Democrats in a bird. Sure. You've got your older um, leaders. And it's not an age thing. This mm-hmm. just means that you've got folks that were around when the rules were different. When you could win politics, by having a press conference. And if you got all the newspapers there and they showed up and reported on you, you got to win. Yeah, those aren't the rules now. They're different. Right. Uh, you know, we have something called the internet. And it, it's crazy. And so, I mean, it's changed the rules. But, you know, folks don't know how to factor that in. So they're still operating under these old rules. And under those old rules is you must be doing something terribly wrong and if you're not doing something terribly wrong, then there's no way in on, on God's green earth. That's, if, if we can't get people to stop saying that, that is a kind of repeated thing that becomes true again every mm-hmm. time you say it. They've been saying it for 20 years. Over there, they've been saying it for 20 years in Idaho. And it's not true. I mean, all you have to do is open your eyes and look at, these, at what you need to do to win. I'll tell you what, people are like, oh, you know, Boise's Boise. It's a big liberal bastion of whatever, and so they can elect everybody they want. No, they mm-hmm. can't. You've got to be Steve Birch to win in Boise. Right. And I, anybody wants to learn how to win, and I don't care if you're in the most rural place in the world versus our, our urban area, um, Steve Birch is the model. Mm-hmm. Tenacity. I don't, I don't Did he run five times? Yeah. He's, he's already knocking doors. This year. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I don't think he ever stopped. No, he's, it's fascinating. And, and I mean, he also proves that you can win. Right. Because he started from way down. And so the trick is, is one, there is a way to win. We've got the data. We've got the modern techniques to, uh, to make sure that when we go to a door and we record that, we don't have to go back again and again and again doing the same thing and wasting the same energy. Right. So now it's more efficient. And we, we know how to do that and run multiple cycles. And it's about defining your win. You know, is your win going to be, I'm going to run and win, even though you're running a race where the last Democrat lost by 40 points and it was had nothing to do with anything other than they were a Democrat? Mm-hmm. Well, that's insane. You go in there and you go, you know what? I'm going to move the needle 10 points. I'm going to get 10 more points than the last person. And then the next election, I'm going to get X number more. And then mm-hmm. the third election, you got a, you got a shot of being competitive. Mm-hmm. I guess let me ask you this. What do you think is the ideal candidate if you could, I'm going to use a, a metaphor that works for me, but I'm playing Madden or NBA 2K or something and I'm building my player, but you're here building your candidate and this candidate is going to run in District 6, District 5, District 4. It's going to have the issues that matter to folks up here in North Idaho because they're, we have very segmented different parts of the states and issues are very different. Water rights in eastern Idaho and, um, you know, conservation, farming, that kind of stuff that matters, you know, in Boise and even moving your way up into northern Idaho. There's some different issues. Salmon, fishing, that kind of stuff. Um, what do you think your design candidate that could that you would want to put on the ballot would be up here in north Idaho? Well, the good thing is that there's a lot of different permutations of that. I mean, there's no one kind sure. of candidate that you need. You know, for instance, you're like, oh, it's Women's March year. We must have a woman. No, you don't need that. What you need is a candidate 
who is authentically a part of the community and can communicate this, this desire to lead in a way that people believe that they're not out for themselves, but they really do care. It's, it's like this morning I was reading a, a letter to the editor in the Lewiston Tribune. Always my favorite section. I know, it's totally interesting. <laughs> and this one local dude um, here in Lewiston was rebutting a letter. Um, and he's just like, you know, I, I'm, I'm offended that you would uh, call me out for being a Republican. <laughs> When I don't like Republicans or Democrats equally, and you know, it's like, oh, you know, that's 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 interesting, but mm -hmm. you know, and that's suspect of somebody that aligns themselves with Republicans usually. But his point's true. His point is that that people want to align themselves with a candidate that they believe exists somehow outside the partisan fray. It doesn't mean that they they can't be a Democrat or can't be a Republican, but the way they lead is is somehow well it doesn't put your party first it it puts your community first mm -hmm. and you know so sometimes it doesn't seem like that's what people want because they'll vote for republican over really good democrats all the time but the truth is they do want that and in the absence of convincing information that tells them that of these two candidates this democrat is the authentic one who's like me who has the same values and the same priorities and somebody I can trust in the absence of that, then they'll go with this, this, uh, you know, mythical Republican. Mm -hmm. um, like they wrongly think the Republicans will leave them alone more than the Democrats. will. And I, I, anyway, you need to pay a little more attention to the news and you'll see that the mm -hmm. Republicans are the, you want to talk about nanny state government. My gosh, they're like, you know, the worst when it comes to, getting inside your bedrooms or inside your yards or inside your bank accounts. Um, and the Democrats, you know, these days, Democrats are the ones that are like really for freedom. But, you know, we still got to work on that message. Mm -hmm. um, we got to get our, you know, uh, longer um, term folks in the party to stop saying there's no point in joining our team because there isn't anybody on it and uh, can't win no matter what. And get them to start talking about the fact that, you know, if there's a party of freedom, it's us. Sure. Um, so, that long-winded uh, no, round, round the corner. <laughs> I think it's good. So remind you came to Lewiston in what year now? I was going to say in a horse and buggy. <laughs> um, let me see. I so I graduated from Genesee High School. Which oh, okay. Is yeah. Fifteen miles up the hill. Yep. Um, in 1986. Okay. And so you know we came down back then. We came down to Lewiston all the time to sure. drive around a circle in our cars. Of course, these girls. Yeah. When did the, this is super wonky, we can probably will have to cut this out, but when the, the Lewiston Hill opened, mm -hmm. do you remember what year that was? I've seen pictures. I remember Governor Andrus came up here as the first car to go up it, but I don't remember what oh, year that happened. Um, With license plate number one. Politicians. Like, oh, I'm going to be the first one to go up it. You know, I like Andrus, but still. It's like, oh, come on. Um, the goat trail, they called it back then. I know that. Yeah. Uh, nobody had goats, so that really doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, nope, don't know. Probably the 70s. Probably. I, I vaguely, I have like one memory, one memory from like early childhood, and it was just scary going down the old spiral oh, yeah. highway. That's why I remember is because it was a childhood trauma. <laughs> I just thought we were going to die. Yeah. No, that's, that's how the spiral highway feels. <laughs> so you were here in the, in the 80s and mm -hmm. whatnot. Jump back into, Lewiston's had some very interesting 
not interesting is the wrong word, some very um, accomplished politicians, um, really good stalwarts of the Democratic Party that have come out of, of Lewiston and um, taken down people like Frank Bruniel, who was running for Speaker of the House, Mike, and Mike Mitchell, uh, Governor Andrus, who you know was a state senator from here and ended up becoming governor. Right. Um, just any of the any stories or anything that you have that kind of you know goes back to those days of those people or any of interesting um, folks that maybe you came before my time because I, I've only been really around in democratic politics for the last six years. So, so I used to work for the Lewiston Tribune. Um, I was their political reporter until I left in 2008. So I was there from like 2004, 2000, mm -hmm. 2005 um, to 2008. And I really enjoyed... Um, getting to go down to the legislature as a reporter and cover that. So, you know, I don't, we know the same people, right? right. Because, you know, six years, 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Thank God our lifespans are a little longer than that. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, it's like what I can tell you is Mike Mitchell, who is, I feel like he was in his early 70s or mm -hmm. maybe even late 70s when he went back to the legislature. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, he'd been a big deal. I think he was, I don't, was he chief of staff? He was for, chief of staff for, for a while. Yep. And, and ran as, for, as he, his lieutenant governor candidate. Yep. And he, he ran the prison system for mm -hmm. a while when apparently that collapsed in some kind of problem anyway. And so he, he was just, he was a big wheel. And he was also a beer distributor. Correct. Um, and I mean, seriously, you want to talk about a candidate? Mm -hmm. Well, at that time, we, I, I suspect we had more bars than, than we do now. Um, there was a time when... Um, yeah, anyway, drinking and driving wasn't a thing. It was a different culture, and, you know, the, getting a few beers after work was a real thing, and mm -hmm. then you drive home, which was a bad thing, but that's, so That's how it was, right. Yeah. And so, anyway, Mike was, as a beer distributor, a really garrulous dude was just part of that. And so, yeah, he was able to get elected, and, I mean, people loved him, and they should love him because he was really smart. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I so I was down in the legislature, and, and Mike was a real force for the Democrats who, by the time I got there, their numbers were pretty small. And um, he started up the choir, um, choir practice. Mm -hmm. And that was, uh, you know, something from his days back when people were a little more partisan, bipartisan, I should say, um, worked together a little better. And, um, you know, it just, Republicans would show up, Democrats would show up and, and choir practice was beers at, uh, mm -hmm. I can't even remember what place. Um, it was an Italian restaurant finally, but um, only after the better place closed. And, and I don't, there's no ending or beginning of that story, but, but what Mike was, was a bridge. Mike Mitchell was a bridge to this old idea of people getting along and speaking truth to each other. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, that's the thing that's kind of missing is now, I mean, <laughs> I can't guarantee that uh, these legislators will sit down and speak truth to each other. Sure. I think they're constantly angling in a way that's, that's, uh, that's, that you, you don't, you don't get, uh, you know, it's a win-win deals. You just mm -hmm. get, it's a I win deal, you know, on both sides. And, and that's what was going on before is like, yeah, we'll help you out. Um, it's just mean spirited and all this all this stuff. Um, no, I, I wasn't part of the the Lewiston uh, political scene at that time, but sure. I, I did have a lot of respect for the vestiges of the old folks. And I can tell you, so Senator Joe Stegner, 
who was a Republican down here, and Nakarado ran against him a few a few times. It was really disappointing to me as a Democrat, you know, that mm-hmm. Nakarado couldn't get in there and be our senator. But Joe Stegner was a pretty pretty good guy and mm-hmm. um, basically a moderate. Um, Republican at a time when there were fewer and fewer moderates in the legislature. This is, you know, around 2008 or so. And here in this area, the dams in the, I think, 80s and 90s and salmon recovery became a really important wedge issue that sort of kicked all the farmers and ag over to voting for Republicans. People were, you know, claiming that Democrats were a bunch of wild eyed environmentalists and Republicans, you know, were the pro-family bunch and blah, 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 blah. And so that was an effective message around here that really hurt Democrats. And Democrats, in turn, were being pressured by their um, conservation friends, their friends in conservation, to take some stances around here that just weren't helping them get elected. Well, that's the first time I saw, like, dirty politics succeed as a reporter in this area. And it was like a couple times this happened. It was in like the just before election time. Something, maybe a robocall would go out against Senator Stegner's opponent saying that he was in favor of breaching the dams. Mm-hmm. And then immediately, you know, that, that, would, ha- that would have an effect. Right. And I, I remember who was behind him. I, I can't remember his name. Had no, no ethics and, you know, just sheer Republican politician. Didn't care about what he was politicking for. He was just, just running for the brand kind of thing. Right. And, you know, he's finally left the state. But, I mean, this guy was just, like, running prop- property initiatives, trying to get rid of all the public land, everything, everything, mm-hmm. everything. But that's when I first saw the, the firsthand the, the dirty campaigning. And, and, by the way, to this day, I actually um, I don't think Joe Stegner knew that this guy was doing that. Um, I've, I've since, you know, been in politics long enough to understand that there's there's enough interests out there that mm-hmm. they will do that kind of, they will fund those kind of things in right. the uh, candidate's campaign without their knowledge or, you know, permission or against their permission. Right. I'm sure that was funded by, uh, you know, I'm sure Joe wasn't behind it. Oh, yeah. I just say par- that. Partially because it's <laughs> illegal, too, right. for the campaigns to talk to some of those people uh, doing independent expenditures, so. Okay, yes. There's that. <laughs> there yeah. is that, too. There is yeah. that, but also, yeah. Yeah. But Joe, Joe's a good guy. Yeah. No, no, no. No, he, he is. He wouldn't. Uh, anyway, he's, he's an honorable dude uh, who I've, I, I've enjoyed. Uh, um, I, I wish he had a bigger hand in uh, Republican politics mm-hmm. than he does. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, here's a northern Idaho thing that, okay. that I experienced growing up. So I graduated high school in Genesee, but before Genesee, I lived in Bonners Ferry, which mm-hmm. is, you know, practically in Canada, right. um, you know, 50 miles south of the border. And 30 miles, maybe. But Logging Town, grew up there in the 80s. And this is when, uh, you know, uh, Reagan was president. And, you know, both the coasts were making millions and billions of dollars. And we were having what amounted to a depression in the middle of, in Idaho. I mean, things weren't going well for us. And we were having lumber mills shut down. The unions were getting decimated at that time because their jobs mm-hmm. were going away. And, you know, just a lot of despair and, and general sadness in these communities. And the fact is, starting in the early 80s until the, until the 90s, 
as those communities were beginning to to lose jobs and wealth and opportunity and all their children were leaving and never coming back, the Democrats um, were embracing, embracing an environmental movement at that time that was doing things like uh, what was in the news was tree spiking, which was this thing where you put a big nail on a tree and if a logger's uh, chainsaw hits it, it can, mm. can knock the chain off his blade and cut his throat. I don't think that ever happened. Maybe it did. But um, anyway, it's really dangerous. Right? Um, yeah. and it's just dangerous whether that happens or not. And so, you know, that was Earth First and those guys. And these were like real wars going on. These were existential fights that were happening. Right. And at that time, the Democrats were getting associated with this kind of, just kind of war mm -hmm. <laughs> on, on actual hardworking dudes. And it wasn't true, of course. But nonetheless, there was, you know, the Democrats were more inclined to, to be associated with and, and be pushing for environmental policies. And so as we moved ahead through this, this time, this is also the Forest Service was beginning to, to change its management some and pay a little more attention, I think, to, to the roads. And I'm still up in Bonners Ferry at this time. And so while these families are losing their jobs, it was really important to go out and shoot deer and elk to feed yourselves. This was how you fed your family. Right. And the Forest Service came in and started putting up lock gates on these, these roads to all these places where people had gotten used to going out and hunting. And so, so basically this amounted to the Forest Service coming in and trying to starve your family. I mean, don't think about this in terms of what was really happening. You know, they were going in, they were... You know, they were managing the forest better. Right. They were actually making it probably so wildlife could be more abundant. Don't think about it in terms of mm -hmm. whys or the real thing. But the actual effect was yeah. that they were going in and making you so you couldn't go, go put food in your freezer and feed your family. Right. And this is when I started seeing the anti-federal government stuff really becoming just, just really ugly in sure. Idaho. And it had its basis in that. Mm-hmm. And I'm always asking Democrats, I'm like, hey, <laughs> you know, Democrats, you know, um, know this story. Understand that there is, rooted in this kind of history, is why there's this distrust for government. And, and you know, all the arguments that come into your head of, well, here's the reason why that's not inaccurate, why that doesn't make sense. Well, no, no, no. You know, replace that argument with, um, you know, this is what, what people saw and this is what they believed. And here we are today. And so it's a communications issue. It's, it's a real life issue. It's caring about these people enough to understand, you know, you're my neighbor and mm -hmm. this is what you believe. You've got a reason to believe it. Um, let's move forward together to feed your family. And, and you know what? Nobody's going to believe that you're interested in moving forward and feeding people's families if you approach that issue by saying, I'm here to to dispel that notion you have in your head that the federal government isn't on your side. That's why I'm here. Well, nobody's interested in that. They've already seen that the federal government wasn't on their side. Right. What they're interested in is, what are you going to do to solve this problem of me filling my freezer? And then as you move along, your goodwill and, and each, each other's goodwill, that'll solve these other problems on the edge. And that's the thing where I think we've failed a lot. Um, as, as Democrats, I think we've failed to communicate, we're trying to do the right thing. We're trying to do the things that our neighbors want us to do, right. but we're doing it in a way that just doesn't doesn't sound real, doesn't sound authentic, and just sounds it's just kind of out of touch. A, a story I hadn't heard before. 
but it makes sense. You know, that's that's how uh, people survive in North Idaho. It's not everybody, but yeah, <laughs> it's how some people. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's very it's very real for yeah. for folks here. And you know, uh, one one last question yeah. is it, the proximity that we are to Washington. Do you think that that has an effect on the politics and the voting of folks here in our part of the state, North Central Idaho and in Northern Idaho too? the proximity to a state that has completely different politics than we do. Do you think that that changes people's mindsets? No. <laughs> and no, and it's because I actually, so, so Washington State has a majority politics that are completely different than our majority sure. politics. But regionally speaking, eastern Washington politics are really mm-hmm. similar mm-hmm. to Idaho politics and, and eastern Oregon politics, the same thing. Mm-hmm. So if you look at Rep. Walden, uh, Kathy McMorris Rogers, these guys would sit down with, uh, you know, and have lunch with the Larry Craigs of the world and just be speaking the same language. They just look at each other and speak some kind of, some kind of ESP language. Telekinesis. Like, Let's take their money and give it to rich people. And they'll just nod to each other. Yes, they're telekinetic <laughs> thinkers. And, uh, and so, I mean, I think, so, I mean, you look at those guys, look at their Congress sure. critters, mm-hmm. and they're, they're like ours. I mean, in Idaho, our, our good congressman is Mike Simpson. And I, I actually think he's a good congressman. I'd feel a lot better about him if he had a, a Democrat to, to work with in Idaho. Um, and I think he'd probably prefer that, too. Um, quite frankly, we've got Russ Fulcher now, who's a, you know, he's, he's going to be a do-nothing congressman, which is uh, the best you can hope for uh, when you've got a bad congressman in office. And, um, you know, his libertarian ideas are, you know, like he read them out of a cracker jack box, which is weird because I think he's an intelligent dude. But, you know, that's how he approaches things. Just this real black and white, just, you know, you know, don't think too hard, just follow. And, you know, I don't, not sure who he's following right now. It seems to be Trump. But no, um, we don't get much influence. I, if anything, we, we do tend to uh, be reactionary. Like if we see something happen in the in Olympia um, or Salem, Salem, we don't really pay much attention to Salem. But if we see something happen in Olympia, yeah, and it looks nutty to us, and we'll like you know we can count on our right wingers to come up with a bill that will like forbid us to ever even have that thought that Washington just had enshrined sure. into law, right? Which is asinine. Time zones. <laughs> I was also. Yeah, as after I asked you this, I remembered that I was driving in Washington the other day and drove by a sign that said Lexit, kind of like Brexit, but they're trying to leave Washington. There's a there's a sign on the road and it just had all the counties in eastern Washington highlighted in red. And there's a website. It's like go and join our movement to leave Washington. I didn't see that. So now I'm now that I asked asked that question, I'm starting to think about maybe we in northern Idaho have more influence on eastern Washington than they do on us. Oh, that's interesting. I, well, it's like, uh, think about when, uh, what are their names? The Bundys. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, you know, big, brave Bundys went and, over, went and took over a wildlife refuge. Woo-wee! And, uh, you know, who goes over to lend them aid and support but Judy Boyle and... I don't know, maybe another couple of her uh, representative, Judy Boyle from mm-hmm. Midvale, and a couple other, you know, crackpots, basically. And uh, 
No, actually, no, Judy. I kind of like her, but, <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, whatever. She's a she's a nutty person, and that was a nutty thing to do. And they were aiding supporting you know domestic terrorists. <laughs> but uh, so so yeah yeah we we're the ones that were like oh no come here and join us. So when the was it Oregon mm-hmm. that shut down their legislature over yeah they left weren't they, they trying to do something good for the world? And and it was, so it, was an, it was an environmental bill right. Um, yeah, and the, the senators, Republican senators. They're like, actually, not on our watch. They were holed up in Idaho. Yeah, we are not going to do something good for the world while we're in, we're not in charge. So they came to Idaho, right? Yeah. And hid like in a bunker up in North Idaho, I think, yeah. and played Jenga. That's kind of what they do because, you know, career is too hard. <laughs> well, Dean Ferguson. Thanks for being on the podcast today. I appreciate it. I had fun. Yeah, me too. It's exciting. I'm I'm glad you guys are doing this. It's exciting. We're having fun. And, you know, we might have to have you back sometime. You've got a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of stories. I do. I do. I just just, (laughs) just scratched the surface there. Well, well, you never know. Maybe next time. Okay, good. I'd like it. Thanks, Jesse. That's it for another episode of ID Pod. Really appreciate you tuning in. Had a good time with Dean. Lots of good stories, mediocre jokes, but overall, really fun time. Been down with Mr. Ferguson. Appreciate you tuning in and we'll see you next week.